This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Kept Jonathan Edwards from believing that study and learning in themselves can succeed in advancing the kingdom of God. Only as men are in vital relationship with God and endued with the Holy Spirit will the world come to the truth. Referring to the promise, the knowledge of God shall fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. He asserts, whenever this is accomplished, it will not be affected by human learning or by the skill or wisdom of great men. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It will not be by enticing words of man's wisdom, but by the demonstration of the spirit of power. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we know that verse very well. It strikes us and we read it often. But just as I read it this week, do we actually see the truth in it? Not by human might, not by human power, but it will be alone by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who said that? God himself, the Lord of hosts, says it will only be by the Spirit. And as I was thinking about it and thinking, we're very, very slow to learn. Because that's an absolute, that is an absolute truth. God's will, God's plan will only be performed by God's Spirit. And our place in that is to believe, as Clifford said this morning, to receive. That's the only way it's going to be done is through the Spirit of God, says the Lord of hosts. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians? He says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words or man's wisdom, What, what? In demonstration of the spirit of power. By demonstration of the spirit of power. Church, we need the Holy Spirit again. Again, I say, not just for things to happen, but for God's spirit to come and demonstrate that God is God and that he reigns and he rules in the affairs of men. So that brings us to Psalm 127. I'm going to read the first two verses. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, who build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Again, I see two, two statements that sum up those scriptures. And number one is two absolutes, that if the Lord is on our side, success is guaranteed. If the Lord is on our side, success is guaranteed. And secondly, if the Lord is not on our side, then all of our efforts all of our plans and all of our achievements are a waste of time. 
I think those two statements sum up the verses we read. If the Lord is on our side, success is guaranteed. If the Lord is not on our side, then all of our efforts, all of our plans, and all of our achievements are a waste of time. And that may be hard for us to take this morning. Surely God, you know, what I'm doing, God will give me some sort of reward for it. But that's not what the scriptures say. That's not what these scriptures are saying. Except unless. If the Lord is in it, there will be great success. If he's not in it, it's a waste of time. Now that's hard to take at times. Because we like to believe that everything we do is going to achieve something. But it's only what is done for the Lord achieves those two statements sum those verses up today. And unless and except the Lord build the house, absolutely nothing else works. Absolutely nothing else works. That's what the Spirit says. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Absolutely nothing else works but God. You know, we live in an age, and it's been the same over time. There's nothing new, periods in history. We live in a time we, where we have never had so many Bibles. In our, the Western world, I would guarantee most of us have more than one Bible in our house. We maybe have two, three, four, five we live in a time when we have never had as many books about Christian things. There's thousands. Where I buy my books, the guy who, who sells them, he sells them wholesale. Listen, he has sheds full of them. You could spend days in it. We have never had as many books. We have never had as many. We have TV Televangelists, whatever you want to call them, coming out of our ears on television. And yet, we have never been in as bad a state. Now, you may disagree with that. That's your prerogative. But the church, and I mean the church, has never been in as bad a state. We know some of the things within the mainstream churches but it's, we always blame the mainstream church. But it's our denominations as well. Pentecostal, Baptist, Anglican, Presbyterian, Independence. Some of the stuff that is within them, we have never been in as bad a state. That's the age that we live in. What's missing? What is missing? We need the Spirit of God. We need a renewal of the Spirit of God in our lives and in our churches. Do you notice the two areas where the psalmist speaks of here? He speaks of the building of a house. Unless the Lord builds the house. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever built a house. My brother done a lot of work and built his own house and done a lot of the work himself. But the first thing you gar I guarantee you'll start with is a plan. You get your blueprints, you've got it in your mind, what you want to do. 
Man, you start to put it on a page. You start to put it on the prints. You take it to the architect and you say, I want this, I want that. And he says, well, you know, that's, that's possible. That's not possible. And you go through all the, the ins and outs. There's a plan. And you wouldn't dare build a house without a plan. You wouldn't dare do it, most things in your life without a plan. But here the Lord's saying, it's either my plan or it's your plan. The Lord's plan. The Lord is, someone comes to an architect, really what you're doing, you're commissioning him. You hear about people commissioning paintings, commissioning statues, commissioning buildings, all of that. The Lord is the commissioner. He commissions his plan. This is what I want. I want this, 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 and this. Here's my blueprint. Here's my plan. And we're there as his church to carry out his will, to carry out his plan through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to ask this morning, there's the Lord's plan, and then there's our plan. I don't know about you. I've been saved 26 years. And when I realize I go with my plans, it's not very long that I realize this is no good and this is falling apart. This is not working. So the Lord's saying, unless I build it, you will labor in vain. You know, there's parts of the church today who seem to think that we can build God's kingdom without God. And that's true. We can build God's kingdom without God. We know what we're doing. You know, the builder builds off plan. He loses the backing of the commissioner. The one who commissions the building, and the builder goes off plan, he says, that's not what I asked for. That's not what I want. I'm not paying for that. I'm not putting my money into that. But sometimes we go off plan and we're still asking God, God, will you pay for this? Will you still give me your backing? Will you still look after me? And God says, no, come back to my plan and I will put all of my resources into my plan. Come back to my plan. It's interesting to use the illustration of the house. What materials goes into the house? Well, if the Lord's going to build it, he's going to use high-grade materials. None of us want to build a house that maybe in three or four years is going to fall down. But there's high-grade materials that are long-lasting, that are strong, that have been tested over the years. This building, what, is 250 years old? Stood for that length of time. Needs a bit of work every now and again. But it has stood strong for 250 years. There's buildings, and you go and visit them in London and other cities in the world, that have stood for a thousand years. And they've stood strong. Why? Because they used high-grade materials, high-grade methods. And that's why they're still standing today. God has provided high-grade materials for the building of his house. Are we building with high-grade materials, his high-grade materials? Are we building with cheap materials? Are we trying to build a house out of straw? Are we trying to build a house out of sand? You know the story. 
that Jesus talked about the man who built this house on the rock and the one who built his house in the sand. When the storms came, the one in the rock stood strong, stood tall, but the one in the sand was washed away because it had no foundations. It had no high-grade materials. It didn't have a high-grade foundation. What did God say? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That sounds to me like high-grade materials. High-grade materials are available to us. Are we making use, as Clifford said today, are we receiving the high-grade materials? Are we using the tools and the strengths that God has given us? What are God's materials? What has he given us? Well, he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And there has been a theme from the start of the, of the meeting about acknowledging the Holy Spirit. We're praying just in the, in the side room, and Clifford wasn't there and didn't know, praying about the same things. The Holy Spirit would come. We acknowledge the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would have his will in his way. God has given us the Holy Spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He's given us his word. He has given us his word. What a high-grade material this word is. Last time I preached, I encouraged you to be reading the Bible every day. And I know some of you are doing that because you've told me. And I haven't got talking to you yet, but we'll sit down and see how you're, how you're enjoying it. But this is high-grade material. This is the greatest of stuff. This can be relied upon. This can be counted upon. This is a strong foundation. Prayer. Another one of God's materials. Are you praying? Are you praying? The Bible tells us that men ought always to pray. Are you praying? Simple question. Especially men. Look what it says. Men ought always to pray. I have another message in my head someday for that, but I'll keep it to myself at the moment. But are you praying? Men ought always to pray. What's your prayer life like? What is your prayer life like? Are you regular, regularly in communion with God? Just like we said at the start, are we in vital relationship with God? Are we praying? Are we seeking him? Are we asking his help? He has given us his presence. There's nothing like the presence of God. I'm sure every single one of us could tell us of times when they've just felt that closeness of God. Listen, every problem evaporates in the presence of God. Physically, it may not evaporate, but its effects evaporate. It's not God's... His presence doesn't make the difference. His presence is the difference. God has given us his presence. That's God's materials. High-grade materials. What other high-grade materials can we use? Faithfulness. 
faithfulness, faithfulness to the house of God, faithfulness to one another, faithfulness in every area of life. These are God's materials. I don't know about you, I want high-grade materials. But it takes work. It takes effort. It takes time. We don't want cheap materials. We don't want cheap materials. You know, back in, in the time of 9-11, they talked about when the, ta- the two towers came down and when the engineers started to look at the building and why they fell, there was flaws. There was flaws in the structure. There was flaws in the plans of the buildings originally, which caused them to weaken in the fire and that caused them to collapse. Listen, if there's flaws in our materials, if there's flaws in our plan, just like those two towers, we're going to collapse someday. And it's not going to count for God. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, those who build it labor in vain. They labor in vain that build it. If you notice, they labor. There is a work that is being done. There is a work. Let me put it this way. There's a busyness. But is it really achieving anything? They labor in vain that build it. And there's nothing worse than putting all your efforts into something for it eventually to count for nothing. Putting all of that effort, all of that time, all of that money into something that eventually counts for nothing. And that's what these scriptures are telling us. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. It says they labor. And sadly within the church, there's, when I see they, there's a unity sometimes within the church where we're all following one direction. And I look over the time, I read a lot on revivals and and church history. (coughs) Sometimes it was just God brought, raised raised up an individual or a number of individuals. But they were few and far between at the time. But a lot of the people were just going in one direction. There was a unity of purpose. You think of the Tower of Babel. There was a unity at the Tower of Babel. And they all got together. It says they were of one mind. God says there's nothing they can't achieve in this one mind of unity. But it all came to nothing. And that's a sad place to be. (coughs) But God wants us to build something of purpose and something of strength. I've read Nehemiah recently. And it says, so he so built... So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together onto the half thereof, for the people who had a for the people had a mind to work. One tower was building, and it was going nowhere. One group are building a wall for God, and they have a mind to work. And that wall was built, and that wall was strong, and that wall protected the city. What are we laboring in? Are we laboring in our own things? Or are we laboring together in unity for the purposes of God? 
There is a unity that builds to v- in vain. But there is a unity that builds with purpose. Are we in unity to build with purpose? There is a labor that achieves and we want to achieve for God. <coughs> the other illustration he uses is of a city. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What's the watchman's role? What's the watchman's role in the city? Well, some of the scripture says, but if the watchman sees the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if, he, if they, they should come and take away any person from among them, he is a t- taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. For thus hath the Lord said unto me, Set a watchman, let him declare what he sees. Also in Ezekiel says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give him warning from me. The watchman was on the wall as a lookout. The watchman was on the wall looking for enemies coming from a distance to attack the city. He was there to warn he was there to, to, to shout out so that the city had time to prepare the defenses, so that the city had time to get the army together, to, to put an offense, offense together. That's what the watchman was there to do. He was there to watch the enemy approach and warn the city. Watches for invaders, enemies approaching so that they can close the gates and prepare a defense. Enemies will come. Enemies will be great and enemies will be small. But we need the Lord at all times, regardless of how big the enemy is or how small the enemy is. We can't overcome our enemy in our own strength. He's too strong for us. The enemy of our souls is far too strong. But we need the Lord at all times. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Turn with me quickly to Second Chronicles 14. It's the story of King Asa. I'll read from verse 8. And we're talking of big armies here. But look how Asa handles it. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Of, of valor. 580,000. 580,000 men. That's some army. But look what it goes on to say. Sarah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as, as far as Marashah. And Asa went out to meet him and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Sephatath at Marashah. Now look what Asa does. He doesn't rely on his own strength. He doesn't rely on his own army. It does show us that we need to be prepared. 
any country that doesn't have an army is it's, it's, it's foolishness. But ultimately, we can have all the armies at our disposal and not have the Lord. We're beaten already. But look what Asa does. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. That's a great prayer. A great prayer. Regardless of the size of the army, he calls upon the name of the Lord. He wants the Lord on his side. He realizes that it's not a numbers game. It's not about numbers. It's about the presence of God. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And it goes on to tell a bit more about the battle. But the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Wonderful story about a man who relies upon God. Yes, he has strengths. He has the army behind him, but he knows he needs the Lord. But just turn over to chapter 16. Again, it talks of Asa. A lot of years later, in the, in the 36th year reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. Here he is years later, and he doesn't call upon the Lord. He starts to make alliances. He starts to make alliances with the world. He starts to negotiate. He starts to give gifts for favors. For all those years before, he called upon the name of the Lord. Now he's not calling upon the name of the Lord. He's become prideful. And he's looking to, he's looking to an alliance with a non-godly nation. Listen, there is no mingling with the church in the world. And you know as well as I do, there is a lot of world in the church. It doesn't work unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord is in the city, keeps the city. Look what it goes on to say. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, abel Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building. And with them he built Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, look what he says, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. 
Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a, hu a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Because you did not rely on the Lord. There's two examples. When he didn't rely on the Lord, his enemies escaped. We're meant to conquer our enemies. We're meant to trample our enemies under our feet. The enemy has to have no hold on us. Because Jesus has bought our victory over him. But our actions and our ways of doing things can give the enemy a stronghold in our lives. We need to look to the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house and unless the Lord watches over the city. What does he go on to say? We're almost done. It is futile that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil. I said earlier, there's so much effort. And it's not to say that there isn't effort goes into the, the real plan of God. But if it's not of God, there's so much effort goes into it. You rise up early, it's in your mind, you're thinking about it. How can I do this? How can I do that? We go to bed late at night, and it's in our minds, it's filling our thoughts. And we're anxious, the bread of anxious toil. And God says it's not going to achieve anything. It doesn't achieve anything. So much effort that achieves so little actually achieves nothing. Nothing that counts for the Lord. You know, some people's, they talk about a, someone's life's works. And sadly, some people's life's works counts for nothing. And sadly, within the church, some people's life's works count for nothing. That's sad, very sad, because the Word tells us that we are to be overcomers, that we are to be victorious, conquerors. And sometimes we have laid down and have been conquered and have had victory taken away from us. God never designed us for that. God said about the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me ask you a question. How can we guarantee success? How can we guarantee success? Unless the Lord builds the house. What does God build? When God builds it, what is it? It's strong. It's secure. It's successful. It brings peace. It brings rest. What did the, the, the last piece of the scripture say? For he gives to his beloved sleep. It brings rest. It brings peace. It brings comfort. It brings home. It brings family. It brings community. It brings unity. It brings life. When God builds it, all of these things are ours. All of these things are ours. 
So let me ask you another question. What's your house like? What is your house like? Now, I'm not saying, and you notice I didn't say that some of the attacks of the enemy won't come. But what is your house like? Is there a peace that passes understanding in your life? Is there a rest unto your soul? Is there a sleep of the beloved in your life? God only builds something that will endure. And we want to endure. Think of some of the things that God has built. Think of the disciples. We were chatting on Friday night with the youth about the disciples. Ordinary men. Ordinary men. And God turned them into mighty men. God built them. For three and a half years, they walked with Jesus. And God built them. Think of Paul and Silas. It says in Acts 17, verse 6, these that have turned the world upside down and are come here also. These that have turned the world upside down. That's what God builds. That excites me. I hope it excites you. I want God in my life and in your life to build something that is going to turn the world upside down. It only happens when God builds it. But he took ordinary men and he turned them into mighty men. David's mighty men. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. That's the way this started. But we read the tales of David's mighty men as individuals and as an army and how they conquered. Individuals conquered hundreds of men alone. How did they get from there to those mighty men? Because God built them. God built these men. He built the house and they became mighty men of God. Think of Gideon. Gideon's hiding himself in the threshing floor. And the angel comes and says, you mighty man of valor. You mighty man of valor. This, this isn't just to Gideon. This is to us. And maybe we're hiding ourselves. Maybe we were under the caution from the enemy. And we're saying, well, I'm not going to upset the enemy here because I don't think I can take any more. But listen, step out from the threshing floor. Step out from hiding yourself and let God build you. Let God build you into a mighty man, a mighty woman of valor because that's what he wants to do. Think of Abraham. One man from Ur the Chaldees and God built a nation from him. One man. And God built a mighty nation from him. Which still exists today. And will continue to exist. The world can say what it wants. 
but Israel will never be defeated. Why? Because God watches over the city. But from one man, he built a nation. One man. As the sand of the sea, they'll be. You'll be unable to count them. From one man, he built a city or a nation. He's building a church. He is building a church. He is building a church. Are we going to be part of that church? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God says, I am building a spotless bride for my son. A spotless bride for my son. God is building a church, a faithful church. One that will follow him. One that says, Lord, if you're not in it, I don't want to be in it. One that says, Lord, if you're not looking after me, I want no part of it. We need the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That's the three positive statements there. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city, for he gives to his beloved sleep. If we have the first two, we'll have the third one. Let me sum up. We need the Lord. We need the Lord. I need the Lord. You need the Lord. We need the Lord. We need him as individuals, and we need him as a church. But we can't build it to our own design, with our own materials. Let's call out to the Lord. You know, in, in home group on, on Tuesday night, where we were talking, and, and it, it struck me quite hard. I think it was Sarah was praying and talking about crying out to the Lord. And, and it reminded me of a few scriptures recently that, that the, the Lord's put in my mind. We think about when Moses went to the burning bush. He saw the burning bush in the distance. And he says, I will go here. And I can't remember just the, the phrase. No? He says, I go out of my way to see this great sight. So he had to go out of his way. I think of the disciples in the boat in the storm. And it says, Jesus came walking in the water. And I think it's Mark that says, as if he was going to pass on by. And they cried out to him. I think of Abraham. When the Lord and the two angels, God himself and the two angels came. And they came by. And they were going to pass by. But it says, Abraham ran to them. And says, come. Let me prepare for you. Let me feed you. And it struck me that the Lord reveals himself, that the Lord shows himself. But we've got to cry out to him. And we've got to draw on to him. And we're going to have to go out of our way to, receive, to get him, to receive him. We're going to have to go out of our way to come away from the plans and the purposes that are our own. And say, Lord, I want your plans. I want your purposes. We're going to have to come away out of our way. 
And that's difficult at times because it's hard when you've put so much effort into something to let it go. We try and salvage it. You know, there's a church, I um, can't remember the name of it, but and they were running what they called the seeker-sensitive plans and things that they had done. They'd done it for a lot of years. And they'd done a report, an internal report themselves. It was only a number of years back. To see what it had achieved. And ultimately, it achieved very little. Well, what did they do? Started to think, well, we have other stuff here that we're going to try. There's other things here that we're going to do. But that's how I'm going to sum up. What do we do in a situation like that? Brings us to an obvious question in the light of the scriptures that we've read. Is what I am building according to God's plan? Or is it according to my own plan? And if it's not according to God's plan, what should I do? What should I do? Listen, when we take a wrong turn, especially us men, it's very hard to admit when you've done that. You know that. But what are you meant to do? You're meant to turn around and go back to where you took the wrong turn. We've got to go back and take the right route. We've got to go back and take the route that God has designed and God has planned. <laughs> Paul on the road to Damascus was stopped in his tracks. Stopped dead in his tracks. And what did he say to the Lord after that episode? He said, what would you have me to do? Church, I believe we've got to go back to God and say, what would you have me to do? Quite simply that, what would you have me to do? That's the question we have to ask ourselves as individuals and as a church. Lord, what would you have me to do? We can continue to build and do things and try things. But will they achieve anything for God? And if it's not of God, no, I won't. That, that's just what the scriptures plainly tell us. We've got to turn and say, Lord, would you, what would you have me to do? That's my question to sum up for today. Will we go to the Lord and assess our plans and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Because I want success. I want to build something of high, with high-grade materials that is long-lasting, that brings glory and honor to God, that brings blessing to God. And ultimately, I want the presence of God, and I know you want the presence of God. But there comes times when we've got to ask ourselves a few questions. Take stock. Lord, what would you have me to do? I put that challenge to you this morning in the light of the Word of God. Lord, what would you have me to do? It's a question that needs answered.
As I say, we have everything. Books, Bibles, yet we're not where we should be. So the question is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Let's pray. Lord, your word says, it's not going to be by might. It's not going to be by power. But it is only going to be by your spirit. You said that, Lord. Lord, we recognize that we sometimes are prone to not listening to that. But Lord, we would ask you this morning, would you draw us back into your plan? Lord, would you cause your people in this room today, if they're not in your plan, to come back to your plan? Lord, to walk as you want them to walk, to act as you want them to act, to build as you want them to build, knowing in their hearts that when you build it, it will be successful. Lord, we acknowledge our great need of you today. We acknowledge our need of your Holy Spirit who empowers, who quickens, who teaches, who leads us into all truth, who reveals it all to us. Lord, if we could put a theme on this morning, Lord, it is that we need your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we would ask you today that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. That, Lord, that you would help us to do the things that need to be done. That, Lord, that, that your Spirit could come in his fullness and in his power. Lord, we tell you today we want you. We want you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Lord, we want our work to count for the glory and honor of your name. Our Lord, you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be blessed. You are worthy to be glorified. Lord, that's what we're called to do, to lift up your name and exalt you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work on your people, would work on myself, Lord God. That, Lord, that you would start to fill us afresh, bring times of refreshing for the glory and honor of your name. Lord, I bless you. I magnify you. For you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk